Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. If you're not familiar with my story, my background is that I spent about 39 years in various Protestant groups. I was a Baptist slash evangelical pastor for 11 years, and at the age of 41, I came home to the Catholic Church. One of the highlights of my time before I was Catholic was learning the Jewish roots of Christianity. For a number of years, I had the privilege of studying under a Jewish convert of Christianity named Gary, who had a keen understanding of scripture and a delightful passion for teaching. He was my Bible instructor in junior high and high school. I attended the church he pastored when I was in high school, and after college, he hired me as the worship pastor of his church. Gary's grasp of the Jewish roots of Christianity was contagious, and together we started a ministry called Christianity is Jewish, where we instructed Gentile Christians about the Jewish context of Christianity and shared with the Jewish people about how Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of Judaism. Every year, Gary would host a Messianic Passover Seder where he would lead us through the Passover rituals, pointing out some of the nuances of the way Jesus celebrated it in his final meal with his disciples. While Passover seders can vary in length, Gary would spend hours helping us to see just how Jesus perfectly fulfills this important Jewish feast. When Gary left to pastor a church on the West Coast, I became the pastor. To say that I had enormous shoes to fill would be the understatement of the century. Gary left a legacy, but one of the biggest treasures he left to me was an appreciation and understanding of the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. When the time of Passover loomed ahead, I had a decision to make. Either I could let it pass by and we could move on as just another evangelical church filled with Gentiles, or I could pick up where Gary left off and prioritize incorporating the Jewish roots into our values as a congregation. I chose the latter and led my first Passover Seder with the congregation. And even though I left vocational ministry around the age of 34, to this day, I continue leading a Passover Seder every year, whether it's just with our family or a group of friends or even a congregation. For the next handful of episodes, we're going to be talking about the Eucharist. The word Eucharist comes from the Greek word meaning Thanksgiving, and sometimes it's also referred to as communion or the Lord's Supper. But before we go into depth about the Catholic theology around the Eucharist, I I think it's important to discuss the context of the Eucharist. I talked about the importance of context in episode 7. Where does this idea of eating bread and drinking wine as an act of worship come from? Why would we say that it is the body and blood of Jesus? What does this all mean? Well, the context of the Eucharist, aka communion or the Lord's Supper, is the Passover Seder. The word Seder means order. There's lots of variations to a Passover Seder, but you'll find that there are some fairly consistent parts in every Seder. Whenever I go into all of the little traditions of the Passover meal, someone will ask me why we don't see these details in the Bible, particularly in the Gospel accounts. My answer is this. Keep in mind that the Gospel writers were Jews. They celebrated the Passover every year. In fact, it's not uncommon to celebrate it multiple times during the Passover holiday. So as they're deciding what to write in their biographies of Jesus, they probably thought it completely unnecessary to go into details about a Seder because every Jewish person would be very familiar with the Seder. Therefore, I I think it's important to pay attention to the things they do mention about the Seder because those are things that would have stood out as different and unique, and therefore they would have wanted to include those details in their accounts. For example, John's Gospel account tells us in chapter 13 that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. You always wash your hands as part of the Seder, but never the feet. That's something John wanted to point out as unique to this particular Passover celebration with Jesus. 
And of course, the most different aspect about the Seder was that Jesus, in Luke's words, quote, took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you, end quote. I want to focus on this bread, which Jesus called his body, and then on the cup, which he called the cup of the new covenant in his blood. This is the part that we celebrate in Christian churches around the world, but most don't understand its context of a Passover Seder. I promise you, when you see it in its fuller context, it will blow your mind. Let's start with the bread. There's a special bag that the matzah or unleavened bread is placed in for Passover. It's called a unity bag, and it has three compartments. Early on in the Seder, the person leading the Seder will take the bread out of the middle compartment, break it in half, put half of it back into the bag, wrap the other half up in a cloth or napkin, and set it aside. That piece that's wrapped up and set aside is called the afikomen. After dinner, the afikomen is unwrapped, broken into pieces, and served to the dinner guests. We know it's the afikomen that Jesus was holding when he said, This is my body which is broken for you, because it says after dinner Jesus took the bread. Bread is eaten throughout the Seder, but the only piece that's eaten after dinner is the afikomen. Do you see the significance? The bread is taken from the middle compartment of a unity bag. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, taken from the Godhead and incarnated as a human being. The bread is unleavened. Leaven represents sin. This bread, this matzah, symbolizes sinlessness. Jesus is our sinless bread of life. The bread is broken in half. Jesus' body was broken for us. The bread is wrapped and set aside. Jesus' body was wrapped in linens and buried in a tomb. And just as the bread is unwrapped and revealed, Jesus rose from the grave, revealing himself as the Messiah. Also, if you look at a piece of matzah, you'll notice that it has stripes and holes. Jesus was whipped over and over, and his hands, feet, and side were pierced during the crucifixion. No wonder Jesus chose that particular piece of bread, the afikomen, when he said, This is my body, broken for you. Furthermore, the word afikomen is interesting and shrouded in mystery. It first appears in the Mishnah, a collection of Jewish rabbinical traditions, around 200 AD. It's a Greek word, but it's written in Hebrew letters. Many have argued that it comes from the Greek word epikomoi, which means dessert. However, in the book He That Cometh, David Daube, a professor at Oxford University, argued that it actually comes from the word afikomenos, which means the coming one or he who has come. I've linked to a little explanation of this in the show notes. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, he writes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is the afikomen. Is your mind blown yet? Let's switch over to the wine. There isn't just one cup of wine served at Passover. There are actually four. Sometimes in seders, it's just the same cup that gets refilled four times. Sometimes there will be four separate cups at each seat, but each cup of wine has a specific name and corresponds to one of the I will statements in Exodus 6, 6 through 7, which says, I am the Lord, and I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. 
The first cup is called the Kiddush cup, or sometimes called the cup of sanctification, corresponding to the phrase, I will free you or take you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. The second cup is sometimes called the cup of plagues, or also called the cup of deliverance, corresponding to the phrase, I will deliver you from slavery to the Egyptians. The third cup is called the cup of redemption, as God promises to redeem his people with an outstretched arm. The fourth cup is called the cup of praise, corresponding to the phrase, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. I like to think of these four cups as four quarters of a sports game. Between the second and third cup is when you eat the meal, so think of that like halftime. Something else worth noting, uh, remember that after Jesus' Seder, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, but the three disciples couldn't stay awake, and Jesus chastised them for it. Well, I don't know about you, but after a couple of glasses of wine, I'm, I'm starting to get sleepy. I can't imagine drinking four glasses and then having to pray for a few hours in a dark garden. I'm inclined to cut those disciples a little slack. So which cup was it that Jesus held up and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood? We have to examine the clues. It was the cup after dinner and after eating the afikomen. So it must be the third cup, the cup of redemption. And wouldn't that make the most sense? Jesus, after all, is our redemption. The word redemption means to buy back, and Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 6 that we were bought with a price. There's something else that's really interesting about Jesus' final Passover Seder with his disciples. Usually, the Seder ends with the singing of some psalms and then drinking the fourth cup, which is the cup of praise. However, Matthew and Mark's gospel accounts both say that when they had son a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Did Jesus forget the fourth cup? Or was it simply just not recorded in those retellings of the Last Supper? There's a book called The Fourth Cup, written by Scott Hahn, a prominent Catholic convert and scholar who was a former Protestant pastor and professor. Dr. Hahn presents a fascinating theory, one that I had never heard in all my years studying the Jewish roots of Christianity. He argues that Jesus purposely skipped the fourth cup and didn't drink it until he was on the cross. John 19, 28-30 says this, quote, Later knowing that everything had now been fulfilled, and so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. End quote. What was finished exactly? It's not the work of redemption because there was no redemption without Jesus' resurrection. Scott Hahn argues that Jesus' proclamation here is that the Passover Seder is finished. He drank the fourth cup, the sponge of wine vinegar hoisted on the stalk of a hyssop plant. The fourth cup, the promise to take us as his people and to be our God. When he drank that vinegar wine, that's when Passover was concluded and the final I will statement was fulfilled. I always like to say there's five purposes to each of the seven Levitical feasts, eight if you count the weekly Sabbath. First, the feast points to something about the nature and person of God. In the case of Passover, we are reminded that God is our Redeemer. He rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. Secondly, it points to a historical event. Passover is the remembrance of the hard years of slavery and abuse the Jewish people endured in Egypt and their dramatic escape with the help of God. Thirdly, these feasts create culture. Just like our holidays are unique expressions of culture, so this feast, the very first feast that the Jewish people celebrated, helps unite them as a culture. Fourth, these feasts point to the coming of the Messiah. I don't say this as a Christian. This is something Jewish people will tell you as well. Only they don't believe that Jesus is their Messiah. 
As you've seen in this description, I'm not sure how one could miss the profound way that Passover points to Jesus. Lastly, these feasts point to the end times in heaven. Jesus told his disciples at his last Passover Seder that he would not drink of the fruit of the vine until he drank it anew with them in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' disciple John explained in his vision found in Revelation 19 that he saw a great feast in heaven called the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is likely that moment where Jesus once again drinks that cup of the fruit of the vine. This is the Passover meal, only this time in heaven. I want to end with one last thought about the Seder and something we'll go further into in our next episode. The historic churches, particularly the Catholic and Orthodox churches, note that when we eat the bread and drink the wine of communion, we are actually eating and drinking the body and blood of Jesus. We believe that the bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Protestants, on the other hand, vary greatly in their theology of the bread and wine. Denominations such as Baptist or mainstream evangelical maintain that while communion is an important spiritual ritual, the bread and wine are merely symbols of Christ's body and blood. They often will point out that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, the bread and wine are symbolic ways that help us remember the death of Jesus. However, that idea of memory as though we think about something in the past is a very Western way of thinking. The Jewish understanding of memory is much different. It is mystical. Leon Wassetier, a longtime literary editor of the prestigious magazine The New Republic and an observant Jew, explained memory this way, quote, In the age of tradition, the past was present. It was one of the primary purposes of Jewish ritual and liturgy to abolish time, to make Jews divided by history into contemporaries, and those divided by geography into neighbors. In this way, the many communities of Judaism were unified into a single people, and the experiences of many Jews into a single story." End quote. If you ever get the chance, I highly recommend visiting the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. It is one of the most stirring experiences you will ever have. And the museum is done in such a way that you embody the history of the Holocaust. You don't just remember it in a cognitive sense. You, in this Jewish mystical way, become one who was there, who suffered with so many millions of Jewish people who were persecuted and executed. The Jewish understanding of remembering is on full display in the Holocaust Museum, which is the reason why it is so moving. If we apply this Jewish concept of memory and memorial to the Lord's Supper, then there is something mystical taking place. In partaking of the bread and wine, time and space vanish, and we are in some mysterious way participating in the redemptive work of Jesus the Messiah on the cross while being united with Christians past, present, and future. It is more than a symbol. It is that sacramental portal whereby heaven kisses earth. It's important to understand that Christianity has Jewish roots, and we can learn about our faith, particularly about communion, by studying its origin in the Passover. I want to thank you for joining me for another episode of Why Catholic. I've included links to many of the sources that I referenced in this episode in the show notes. I highly recommend diving into them. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast provider so you don't miss the next episode and our continued discussion on the Eucharist and the sacraments. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to review it and even share it with your friends. 
Also, I'd love if you join the Why Catholic community. Just go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Thanks again for taking time to revel in the truth, beauty, and goodness that Jesus gave to us. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic. <laughs>